this Friday. Your favorite emotions are back on the big screen in Disney and Pixar's Inside Out 2. It's time to greet your Team Riley. It's anger. Let me at him. Fear. Safety checklist is complete. Disgust. Ew, ew. Ugh. Sadness is in the house. Oh, no. Hello, I'm Anxiety. I'm one of Riley's new emotions. Disney and Pixar's Inside Out 2. There's a part two? We're going. Ready PG. Parental guidance suggested. Only theaters Friday. Get tickets now. We took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night. Ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end... What will I become? Senwa Saga. Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. Before we continue, one of the ways we keep all of our content for you, the listener, free of charge is our amazing sponsors, and today, Anchor is one of those sponsors. If you haven't heard about Anchor, it's the easiest way to make a podcast. Let me explain. It's free, there's creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcasts right from your phone or computer. Anchor's going to distribute your podcast for you, so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and everywhere podcasts are listened to, and you can even make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. It's everything you need to make a podcast in one place. Download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.com. FM to get started. Tonight, this is the place to share all your thoughts on AEW's pay-per-view debut. You listen to them talk double or nothing 2019. Now hang out with us on After 83 Weeks with Christy Olson. That's me. I'm Maria Menunos, and you're tuned in to AfterBuzz TV, the ESPN of TV talk. Now, let the buzz begin. Hey there, 83 Weeks fans. Welcome to your show. We all love 83 Weeks with Eric Bischoff, and we are covering the latest episode. So much to discuss, and Eric Bischoff himself will be joining us in just a few minutes. But you know I have all the usual suspects hanging out with me right now. I have independent wrestler, who we also call the Encyclopedia of Professional Wrestling, for good reason. Hello, George Hermosa. I I do know a lot, so I'm hoping to, uh, you know, now that, yeah. This this (laughs) up a lot. He's he's earned that one for sure. And the digital producer of the 83 Weeks channel, Steve Kaufman, has joined us as well, as per usual. What's I've, up, Steve? I've been holding on to this humble brag for a while, but I will say I'm officially the digital producer and head of video for Grilling JR. So Congratulations! I've, it's, been an, it's been a bit of a process, but right now, if you were to search for Grilling JR episodes on YouTube, that channel is mine. The wrestling podcast channel is not mine. There's, it's a whole thing. It's a whole thing. Still, we, it took a long time to work out. The Grilling JR channel is me. All the Conrad stuff is the Conrad stuff. I love that. Well, I'm sure our live audience probably listens to JR as well. I'm sure they do. And we want to thank them all for hanging out with us. There's a ton of people who have already joined us. CJ Maurice, what's up? Hello, RJ Metal and Michael Mackey, of course, Michael, everybody, Michael, Ken, thank you guys for coming and joining us tonight, man. I look forward to this every week and I think uh, we all understand why right now. So make sure that you join us if you can at 8 PM Eastern time right here on the 83 weeks channel. We do this live every Wednesday and we of course are going to give you guys the opportunity to ask Eric some questions. He's going to join us in about 20 minutes or so. And we do have one that we want to pitch at him from last week to keep up. It was also his birthday yesterday so dying to know how eric bischoff spends his birthday we'll you have met to get every into thursday that right every thursday 
Thank you. That's why. See, that's why we need you around here, George. Wednesday, we were old school with Wednesdays, but yeah. yes, Thursdays, come and join us because we are about to get really heavy into this double or nothing 2019 episode of 83 weeks. There's a lot to unpack here. And it was a nice long one that kept us entertained for a good three and a half hours. Guys, what stood out to you the most? We finally got to hear Eric's take on AEW. What did you it's think? Just something new. I mean, I, I, we all enjoy the new things. I mean, we've heard him talk about WWE, WCW, AWA. Um, I don't think he has, has done too much about uh, ECW. You know, we've heard him talk about, like I said, TNA. So I'm liking that it's finally something new, like something, whatever his thoughts about the talent. Like, I, you know, I like a lot of his thoughts about, I, I think we all share the same about MJF, just like how great of a heel character he is. So it's it's a little, little refreshing. Not that, I, not that I don't enjoy the other stuff, but, you know, hearing his thoughts about, you know, the current AEW talent. And actually, we're going to get into MJF and his heel business in just a little bit. So I want to get our chat roll going on that. Let us know what you think about MJF. And Steve, thoughts on this episode? I really enjoyed this episode. I'm always interested when a popular show breaks their format a little. So this episode was a lot of fun. The WrestleMania episodes which were two episodes in in the course of a weekend were a lot of fun where he really dives into something he doesn't normally dive into. I was, I'll be the first to say I was shocked. He enjoyed the young bucks match at all. I don't know why. Maybe I listened to too much Jim Cornette, but I thought for sure he would, Oh, it's flips and nothing means anything. Therefore nothing means anything. Cause that's classic Eric Bischoff. <laughs> that I was very shocked. He enjoyed that match more than he enjoyed the Cody Dustin match, which as someone who was in, in attendance that night, I thought that match was the show. It stole the show. Oh, that's right. You were there live. I was. Steve, now this was a full year. We took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night. Ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end... What will I become? Senwa Saga. Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. More ago, what do you remember about being there in the arena? I remember there were certain folks that I... There were certain folks who came out that I, it was my first time seeing them. Like the best friends. Mm, right. And feeling like I was out of the loop. Because everyone else there was excited to see the best friends and knew who the best friends were. There were a lot of there were a lot of acts like that in the Battle Royal that I just hadn't had a chance to see yet. And my first introduction to them was in the Battle Royal, and they were playing to a home crowd in that in that sense. So I, it was very interesting to see someone like Riho, which I think watching Riho on television, I've always felt whatever we like about her live never actually translated to television. Because if you're ever in an arena when Riho comes out, she is the most over person on the roster. And if you watch her on TV, you're like, I don't get it. I don't understand why. Well, and people wanted to like AEW and they wanted to be excited about it. That was something that Eric and Conrad kind of touched on on this episode. Could you feel that when you were live in the crowd? Could you tell that people didn't want to hate on things? They didn't want to have to boo. They wanted to have a great time. It was for sure a love fest in just the so many amount of ways it was just a lot like everyone was there for it and i think las vegas is a city very few people like 
there aren't a lot of Las Vegas locals that come to the shows in MGM. Like it serves the greater Southwest region of the United States as a travel hub, which is why they canceled this year so early. Right. Cause it was like, Nope, we're <laughs> the travel hubs are canceled first. So I do think people came from far and wide to want the thing to succeed and that you could feel that to a point where there are some things when I watched them back this week where I was like, man, we were really about that. They're watching it, watching it on television. It's like, ah, like the way they opened the show. And I don't think Con- like, I don't think Con- Conrad and Eric really got into this. The way they opened yeah. the show with being the elite, just kind of on stage doing kind of a funny bit that references the being the elite YouTube show felt jarring to me as someone who didn't watch the being the elite YouTube show, mm-hmm. but you couldn't tell anyone else around me that everyone I, I, else around I, me was. Yeah. I, I, I love I, getting I, that kind of firsthand uh, report from you, George. I was going to say, I do think you bring up a good point. I think, uh, and, and especially with AEW, and I think Jim Cornette said it the best, and I'm not a Jim Cornette follower or fan in any way, but I did listen to his review of All Out, and he said, and it kind of goes into AEW, where people watch this show and go into the show, they already know they're going to like it. You can put on a, a three-hour crap fest, they're going to say it's the best crap fest ever. <laughs> and, and with that said, I do feel like that is kind of a lot of maybe wrestling fans in general, because think about it. Like, you know, we're all on the internet. We hear, we all have friends and, and you know, it, we see things on Twitter, guys like AJ Styles, Kevin Owens, Cesaro, the indie kind of uh, where, you know, where they came from, they can never have a bad match. Like, even if they actually do have a bad match, mm. you never hear about it because as almost as if people are afraid to, to, to be wrong or just they're yeah. afraid mm-hmm. of what people are going to think by saying, Oh my God, like AEW was not a good show. Now, mind you, I think this was a fantastic show. Uh, I think All Out was not, uh, but I did think that Double or Nothing was a great show overall. But again, with that said, I think a lot of the the praise that AEW gets, it's from people that are going to like it no matter what Mm -hmm. because it's anti-WWE or it's not WWE. I actually remember a really- so glad you brought that up, George. Go ahead, Steve. I actually remember a really detailed vision of that which is One Night Stand 2000, or 2006. It's Rob Van Dam, John Cena. I forget the exact sequence of moves, but something happens where Rob Van Dam kind of kind of botches something with John Cena. Mm-hmm. But that crowd chants you effed up at John Cena yeah. and then continues to chant you can't wrestle. Like there's something to be said about if you really sell them what they're going to see, that's what they're going to see. Which makes right. you criticism I- proof, which is nice. You guys just rolled right into a perfect segue for our first kind of pseudo debate tonight, because I have to tell you, MJF gets a ton of praise and for being a great heel. And I want to agree and and think that MJF is a great heel. Our live chat is already um, kind of getting into it. CJ says he thinks MJF is overrated. Ken said he disagrees. He thinks MJF is a great heel. So does RJ Metal. I see our MJF doing a lot of cheap heat stuff, a lot of classic heel 101 things. Yes, he takes a lot further than others. He's not afraid to go there, but please convince me because as a woman who talks about pro wrestling, it bodes well for me to agree with the masses. Okay, just like George was just saying, you know, I want to think MJF is the greatest heel in AEW. So please convince me. 
I was listening to the Steve Austin podcast one time and MJF was a guest on that show. And if you ever listen to that show, and you hear Steve Austin, arguably, this isn't a debate about whether Steve Austin number one or not. Arguably, he is the number one wrestler of all time. Um, okay, even if he's not, he's like top three. So whenever you're in the presence, and especially in a wrestling environment of Steve Austin, uh, you show him some freaking respect. Uh, <laughs> but, but MJF, and I want to say like, uh, I'm sure they, they talked beforehand, but it, I think MJF, or not, I think just by listening to that episode, MJF was like treating Austin as he was a peasant, you know? And, and so things like that where I feel like, and I don't want to burst anyone's bubble, but I feel like MJF, whenever he's around people non-camera, he says, listen, if ever you talk about me, just talk about me in the worst way. And I think, I think, I think deep down, he's a good guy. I don't know. Who knows? Maybe he is. Maybe he actually isn't. Who knows? But it just, he, he and whenever he's on camera, whether it's a podcast, microphone, when somebody hits record, he's on. And you got to respect that in today's environment where, where everything is not always on. I remember I watched a thing or sorry, I heard, I forgot who it was on Twitter that said like, uh, um, I think it was the Sasha Banks's husband, um, whoever, I forgot his name, but like, he's saying like, oh, you know, when wrestlers are in public, uh, you know, you should not call me by my stage. And we're just trying to have something kind of a, a, a conversation on Twitter. And obviously you had 50-50 on and off. And you got to respect someone like MJF that is just always on. Like he 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 will talk the worst of worst of, of people on Twitter, on DMs, because he maybe he really is a, a, a shit bag. Or he plays the character to the hilt. Yeah. yeah. I feel like so many veterans and people who have been in the business for a long time speak positively about him that they must know that behind the scenes, he's a decent person. Mm-hmm. Hopefully. I would say hopefully. <laughs> also, to, to the segment, I think we're going to start calling uh, Prove Christy Wrong, I guess. Maybe, <laughs> okay. maybe I don't convince Christy, I guess. Is I, yeah, because I, I want to be yeah. wrong. In yeah, this like sense. you don't, you're not. You're not steadfast yeah. in a belief. You want to be convinced. Uh, what also, do you want by the to way, be wrong about? Like, are, are, do you not think that he's the best heel or want a, a great heel? Or what are you trying to be wrong about? Well, no, like I said, I just see him doing a lot of run-of-the-mill things. And I want to know what he's doing that I'm not noticing or that I okay. maybe don't mm. understand. I don't pretend to know at all, obviously, about professional I, wrestling. I, 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 can, I think if you follow him on Twitter, I don't know if you do or you don't. I don't. Uh, and you see some of his replies, then I think you'll be like, all right, I kind of see what he's, what he's getting at. Should I try to start a Twitter feud with him? Um, I don't, I would, I would, you don't think he'll bite. It's not that he wouldn't bite. I would advise against trying to start a Twitter feud. I mean, uh, and I know you, Christy, like you seem to have very, very thick skin. So as long as you have that going into it, then just, yeah. By the way, by the way, quick shout out to Ken terminated by Google for the super chat. He's, he gave us a super chat as a thank you for the shout out. Oh, will you? You are very welcome, Ken. Man, we have the best. We have a real good super chat here. Um, I, I want to point out to what you said, where you feel some of what MJF is doing or what you've seen him do is run of the mill. And I do want to point out what makes him good, whereas a lot of other folks, so-so. If you see a certain heel on the microphone do very run of the mill, hokey, carny heel things, and then in the ring, they're mediocre to trash. It doesn't play. It doesn't read. MJF doesn't do that. MJF is a heel in every sense of the word, whether it's on the microphone or in the ring. He did a battle royal over the weekend. Or no, he did a battle royal last night where someone literally defended him in the corner, the entire battle royal. Oh, I saw it. Oh, sorry. I'm just saying, like, that's <laughs> true. 
true heel tactics in and out of the ring is mm. where I think MJF's strengths lie. Maybe my problem then is more with the writing because didn't we just see all of that coming from the second that him and Wardlow were in that promo from the first part and Wardlow's like, but and then MJF gets it, he like gets in his face. And he's like, oh, just kidding. I mean, I. But the whole point of. I'm, I'm writing of, their feud in my head right now. Of course, but the whole point, but you should have, we all probably wrote that feud in our heads months ago when they paired Wardlow with MJF, a guy who doesn't need a heater or a talker. Right. MJF could be fine by himself. The only reason you pair Wardlow with MJF is so Wardlow can spin off of MJF. Like I, I wrote that, I wrote that six months ago. <laughs> like, yes. And actually I'm, I'm quite looking forward to that feud. I think that might be the one that gets uh, MJF over with me. Not that he cares <laughs> or anyone else does or should, but uh, you guys have convinced me. So thank you very much. Like I said, I, I want to agree that he is the best of the best. And uh, thanks to everybody who chimed in down there in the chat. Like I said, there's a ton to unpack though for this episode. And Eric will be joining us in just a few minutes, actually. So guys, I really want to get your thoughts on if you agree with Eric, the Cody and Dustin Rhodes match was very bloody. And my kind of overall opinion of AEW pay-per-views is that they are just a little bit too bloody for my taste. Their matches are fantastic. It's some of the the best wrestling that I can actually sit and watch, you know, bell to bell. But all the blood is just like a little, I want to know, we could debate this, unless you guys are on the same side. Does AEW rely too heavily on blood for shock value? I defer to the professional in George before I weigh in. Oh, it's okay if you want to go first, but I don't think they have too much blood. I think I think in some or certain some circumstances, I think it's okay. Even WWE has it every now and then. Uh, I think it's more uh, they try to present. I think WWE try to present themselves more as a uh, PG product as opposed to like a like a safety thing. I'm, I'm not going to WWE mm-hmm. at all, but um, but I think it's okay for for like Cody and Dustin. Um, I think I think it was good. I think the story itself was perfect. Now, if it was in some other match with, let's say, uh, you know, I don't can't even think of anybody right now. If it was like private party against you know best friends and there's blood, yeah, there's too much, but we don't see that. So I'm not going to knock them for something that they don't do. Um, but I think in some circumstances it's okay. So I, I don't think AEW does it too much unless I'm missing something as far like as um, every every pay per view and you know it's I always a cage match. Actually, just every every time you see a screenshot from a pay per view, I feel like it's just mm-hmm. somebody's face covered in blood. I think that's I mean, cool theory. for like but there's a. a- but there's a theory of relativity here, which is the only other televised, nationally televised wrestling company uses blood maybe once a year, probably less than once a year. So if you're comparing less than once a year to a handful of times a year, that is like a six to seven hundred percent increase. And I think and that, actually, and especially because it's it's even that what we see today is such a complete downgrade of what it was like 10, 15 years ago. Mm-hmm. Mm. Uh, Michael Mackey in the chat said, "I don't like the blood; it adds nothing to the match." Um, I an observation. Well, I do think if, and this is coming from someone who watched ECW as a child, I do think if if every match has blood, if every match have weapons, then nothing means anything. So that it, I think if you were to watch every match AEW does in a twelve month period, the the blood percentage we'll call it i would imagine is in a single digit probably in the five to seven percent range which does give it that gravitas the only problem is what does that sample look like to a viewer who isn't watching every match you've ever produced Mm -hmm. 
that if every yeah. pay-per-view has blood, then the expectation becomes every pay-per-view will have blood. And then it, it devalues itself. And I think AEW is a pretty smart company and they're honestly looking into that because mm-hmm. correct me if I'm wrong, this most recent double or nothing. Was there blood? A lot happened. I, a lot happened. <laughs> I want to say there, was, like there was a little bit in the Moxley Brody match. I mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh yeah. Cause it was, cause they like went through, they went through a stage kind of, but yeah. even if there's blood every pay-per-view, there are just so few pay-per-views. That is true. Uh, Polar Family said, like, you don't see anyone bleeding out from party foam, which is a plus. So yeah, a uh, a private party match, probably not going to see a lot of blood anytime <laughs> soon. Uh, but you compared it to WWE and obviously them using blood very sparingly. And sometimes I do worry that maybe that stuff is inherently kind of implanted in my brain, whether I realize it or not. You know what I mean? And I have you, a feeling that we're not going to really see too much blood, even from here on just because mm-hmm. of the obvious reasons um you know they're gonna have plexiglass for goodness sake between fans and wrestlers right. let alone sharing blood in the middle of the ring you know i you, you didn't watch nxt last night did you yeah for that no we were watching AEW. i don't watch them both i don't i don't think that was real blood i think that was uh i think yeah i think it might have been real blood i think it was fake teeth Real blood, fake teeth. Wow, might have to uh, <laughs> see if I can pull that one up for a for a repeat broadcast and check it out. All right. Well, I think we uh, we thoroughly debated that one. That was a whole lot of fun. And like I keep saying, we are going to have Eric Bischoff joining us in just a sec. If you have tuned in, but we are talking about the latest episode of Eighty Three Weeks. And I did want to ask you about this, George. Eric said something about having pitched nitro or thunder to fx before the fusion deal went bad can you remind people what he's talking about there well right before wcw got sold to wwe uh they were and the rumor was they didn't want uh any more wrestling on turner programming so they were trying to shop out nitro and thunder right before wwe bought them out to fx or to somewhere else maybe even the usa since wwe wasn't on there anymore but when they pretty much said they weren't interested either that's when WWE was able to buy WCW for a very, very low price. Uh-huh. And I do think um, there's something to be said about the TV landscape. I want to say this was early 01, correct me if I'm wrong. Yeah, the, the yeah. TV landscape around late late 2000, early 2001, as it pertained to pro wrestling. ECW was on TNN, and then TNN was rebranding to Spike, and then Spike was going to make a move for Raw. Uh, okay. USA Network was going to lose Raw, and uh, TBS didn't want Nitro. That's that was the TV landscape at the time. So if you were ECW before bankruptcy, the only other place you could talk to is USA Network, who decided outright they didn't want television or they didn't want wrestling on their television, which and Eric discussed in this episode, that was mainly because they weren't actually seeing a lot of the ad buys from the wrestling on their television that was making or was that Jim Ross this week? I've clipped too many episodes. I think Jim <laughs> Jim Ross this week mentioned that USA Network in their original deal before Spike and then coming back, they weren't seeing a huge revenue share in the ad buys. That they were paying mm-hmm. WWE less of a license, and then WWE was selling their own a portion of their own ads on the USA Network. So the USA Network wasn't making as much. Wow. Okay. I'm too in the weeds with too many podcasts at once. (laughs) Well, something that kind of goes along with that is another thing that Conrad and Eric discussed, which is did WWE essentially kill pay-per-views with the WWE network? And 
I, I mean, I think, of course, that's probably what they were trying to do is kill it for everybody else. But have they done that? What do you think? Um, I think the pay-per-view model was dying. And had the WWE Network not done that, someone else would have. So something like Bleacher Report Live, which is what we see now, which is Fight T or Fight TV, like some form of a la carte streaming service that cuts out a lot of the bloated parts of the business pay-per-view business model that makes it a $60 pay-per-view that you have to buy from a broadcaster that has a thing in your home. And then it takes forever for the vendor to actually get less than 50% of it. Uh, I think so, it had WWE network not cannibalized it when they did something like fight TV or bleacher report would have come along and done it for them. They would have come along and been a cheaper platform for pay-per-view that I think uh, that, yeah, that's a good point. I, I, I think, I think uh, the whole, Blaming it on the WWE Network, I think that's a, just a cheap excuse. Um, I, I think if your product is good enough, I think people will shell out money like I did for All Out. How, Steve, aside from the bet that we made, how much did you how much did you chip in for the actual pay per view itself? Um, I think were there five people there, or six people there, so oh, it's no, ten no, bucks. I, I mean, it was five dollars. But my point is, like, it was five dollars, five dollars to watch a pay per view. Yes, like that's how much you chipped in. That's a lot less than. $10. So my point is like, if the product is going to be that good, people will shell out money, regardless of how much it is, 50, 60 bucks and not, and, and if you're good, you're not going to blame it on the WWE Network uh, creating this environment of having their pay-per-views included in the nine ninety nine subscription. I don't think AEW is taking that cop out though. I don't think they are either, but I think, I think, I think, whole- I think WWE cannibalized a dying industry. Like I think when we look back on the television industry in the last 20 years, like that'll be one of the moves we look to. Uh, pay-per-view was slowly dying and then WWE pulled the plug on it because then the UFC came along not too long after that with their own streaming platform and then partnered with other streaming platforms but you still have to pay the pay-per-view like they, yeah. everything was included in the 999 price UFC still charges 60 bucks for the pay-per-view you just have to have the additional $5 subscription to ESPN plus mm-hmm. the pay-per-view is not dead I don't think they killed the pay-per-view business I think people are just making an excuse for them like, oh, well, it, it's clearly down because of WWE. No, it's down because you have a crappy product. Well, because your business Ooh, is down. Also, okay. I think there's and something in that. I, I like this side of George. <laughs> yes. Awesome. Joining George, us now we, is we the are, man I, who started this conversation. This is awesome. I mean, I think, George, you and I are of kindred spirit. Steve, I love you. You're a high-tech genius. You are my mentor, Chrissy. You're as charming as could be. But this guy... He, he knows how to break it down. I like that. He just gets it, huh? <laughs> well, well at least Eric, he gets it like I do. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you for coming and joining us for a little bit here. We want to wish you a happy, happy birthday. birthday. Thank you, guys. Thank Hope you, you. had, a, had great a great day one. yesterday. We had a great one. You know, I worked most of the day. I had a lot of stuff to do yesterday. But around 6 o'clock, I finished up. And uh, Mrs. B and our daughter, Montana threw me to the back of the car. We went out to have a nice dinner, a couple of Jamesons. It was nice to get out. You went to a restaurant? What was yeah. that like? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you went to a restaurant? Yeah, it was, uh, it was actually, you know, I'm not big on going out to restaurants usually, but it was kind of nice to have somebody bring you your food and I didn't have to wash the dishes when it was over or feel guilty about not washing the dishes when it was over. <laughs> 
Oh, I'm just dying. That's kind of the number one thing at the top of my list that I am dying to do. Uh, but I know that our live chatters are dying to ask you some questions, Eric. And I want to start oh, with wait. one from last week that we didn't get to that we want to make sure we throw at you. So you ready to catch it? I'm ready. <laughs> uh, CJ LaChapelle asks, during your time in WCW, did you ever think about changing the 2020 size rings to what the WWE, WWF had at the time? <sighs> It was a subject of a lot of debate and discussion. Really? Uh, yeah, we talked about it a lot. And I, I honestly don't recall why we didn't do it. But I knew the issue that we had is when a lot of WWE guys would come over, they had to really adjust, you know, to that, that size ring because it changes everything. It changes your timing. You know, just, it changes a lot. Um, and conversely, a large part of our talent had never worked in a, you know, a larger ring. So it was always a toss up, you know, who are we trying to accommodate the 80% of the people that have never worked in a WWE ring or the 20% of the people who have my point of view. Cause I didn't, you know, I, I let other people who had more experience on the in-ring component of it kind of chime in on that aspect, but I liked it because from a television television point of view, it just gives you a bigger stage. It makes getting inside of the ring and getting certain camera angles much, much easier without feeling like you're in the shot. So I liked it, but I was voted down a couple times um, and we just never got around to it. Interesting little juice there. Guys, what else do you have for Eric? I was kind of curious because I know we just talked about AEW and Double or Nothing. They had a lot of independent superstars, I guess, kind of coming in and you know they becoming a part of the AEW roster. But as far as when you were in WCW or even TNA, what was your ways of scouting talent for guys that didn't have that WWE or ECW or New Japan or AAA exposure? You know, it, it was really um, guys like Terry Taylor, Mike Graham, Vern Gagne for a while, Dusty Rhodes. I know I, you know, did it for a long time when he was in that in that spot. You know, people knew how to get tapes, you know, to us, and to, I'm sure to WWE too. Um, so most of the scouting if we're to be honest about it really was the result of people setting in tapes or, you know, different, you know, like Kevin Sullivan, Terry, Terry Taylor, you know, Arnie Anderson, different guys knew different, you know, promoters around the country. So they could, you know, introduce tapes or talent to certain people in WCW, but there was no formal recruiting system like we see today, you know, at least in, in WWE, I wish there had been, you know, we, we put our toe in the water with the power plant, but we never really built it out to the point where we could formally go out and, and look for talent. But keep in mind, uh, George, that was at a time when independent wrestling was almost non-existent. So it's not like you could go to the East Coast on any given weekend pre-corona. Um, you could go to the East Coast on any given weekend and within a five-state area, you could find 15 different events on a Friday or Saturday. That didn't exist back then. So it was just a different time. Um, and oh go ahead steve uh, i have an interesting question we talked a bit about uh dr Britt baker in this episode who is a practicing uh med medical professional no a dentist md i was trying to i was trying to suss out med md and i couldn't uh she is a full-time dentist and essentially a part-time wrestler do you think someone like her could upend the employment model in pro wrestling that someone could be full-time in one profession and then part-time as a wrestler I guess it depends on who you're working for. Certainly that would probably work right now for AEW. Um, 
because of, of where they are, you know, in, in their growth, you know, they're not doing, you know, 150 house shows a year, 200 house shows a year, or in WWE's case, 350 house shows a year, or whatever's left. I'm not sure. Um, so if you're not, you know, if you don't have a full-time schedule, you know, during the week doing house shows and adding TV, and then you got a pay-per-view once a month on top of it, if you don't have that type of a schedule, absolutely. I, I think it'll be, you know, hard to find somebody that has Brit's talent. She's got a lot of great talent who's also has a profession um, like being a dentist or a doctor or a lawyer or an engineer or, or any other real full-time job that takes 100% of your focus. Um, and that's just hard to do. Certainly it wouldn't work in WWE. You know, I, I, I can assure you that. Um, but maybe who knows, you know, things are changing so fast between just television mm. changing and, 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 and the ways to exploit television or use television. Same thing, I guess. Mm. Um, and, you know, the live event model, you know, live events, WWE's live events, were, we all know it. It's public knowledge. I'm not sharing things that I've heard internally. Uh, it's, it's pretty well documented that the WWE house show uh, business has been suffering for quite a while. So who knows that live events as we know it may not exist two or three or four years from now or the way things are going. Maybe, maybe they won't come back the way we think of them. I don't know. So it's good to be a dentist. Hey, never give <laughs> up your day job. Never, ever give up your day job or at least have an ability to get back into your day job if you need <laughs> Well, Eric, everybody who's watching really enjoyed listening to you talk about AEW this week. And they want to know, Nate in particular, if you will be covering Saturday's Double or Nothing show. They really want to hear your thoughts on it. Any any uh, plans to cover that? You know, I'll talk to Conrad about that. I feel like I should. You know, I've laid off of AEW. You know, I'll answer a question if I can. And I'll try to give both sides of, of, of both two different perspectives if I can. I, I, ref, I don't really like to say anything too good about AEW because then my Twitter feed and, you know, the chatter, the narrative becomes Bischoff's trying to get a job with Tony Khan. If I go the other way and I'm, you know, I say something that can even be interpreted as critical, then so Bischoff is jealous. He's dumping all over AEW. So it's like, it's easier not to say anything than it is to say something and have half the audience, you know, spitting a narrative that is ridiculous. So, um, but that said, uh, fuck it. Yeah, I should probably do it. <laughs> and if Conrad doesn't want it, we'll work something out. There you go. There you go. I love uh, that. Well, so, so, oh, go ahead, honey. I was going to say, just kind of think of talking about AEW. And cause I, I think we had this conversation with Steve as well, where I think uh, Mondays belongs to wrestling or wrestling belongs on Mondays. We saw it with Nitro. You even saw with the experiment of, you know, TNA going on Mondays. Um, you know, footballs is on Sunday, you know, there are certain days that certain things fall on. With that said, with that said, do you think that AEW at all costs should avoid running on Mondays? Or do you think maybe they should experiment with the occasional Clash of the Champions type special just to kind of have it on a Monday because that's wrestling night? Or should they avoid it just because it maybe Mondays belongs to WWE now? You know, so much depends on their internal strategy you know, and, and what their five-year plan looks like or three-year plan, whatever they're working off of. There's so much I don't know that for me to try to answer a question that requires pretty in-depth knowledge of their budgets, their their risk tolerance at this stage, um, what their long-term plans are, it, I would be kind of like Dave Meltzer, right? 
and I don't want to do that. I, I would tell, I would say this though. Um, if I were, if I were there and I had a voice in the room, I would probably be suggesting that they stay away from Mondays until their numbers start coming up every week. What we've seen since they debuted is they came out at about 1.4, 1.5 million people. And pre-COVID, they were hovering in that eight or 900,000 you know, viewers category. That means they went from here to here to here. And now they're kind of flatlining and almost you know, 35 or 40% of their premier audience. And, you know, if you go back and you look at Nitro's performance, you know, when we launched and whatever, whatever that was, September, I guess, of 95, you know, we started out in the low twos or mid twos, and then we crept up to the, the high twos, and then we crept up to a three, and then we crept up to a three, three over a pretty long period of time. It didn't happen overnight. It took a while. But most importantly, our, if you looked at our, uh, our, our ratings as a graph over the first year, it would be a slow but steady build up. What we've seen from AEW has been a slow but steady um, deterioration of the audience. Now they seem to be pre-COVID, you know, leveling out at about that 800,000 mark, 850,000, whatever it is. I don't keep track that close to track of it. That's about right. Yeah. But if, in, until that number started creeping up and you're really building momentum and you're building loyalty that you know you can bring with you. And that's the risk. If the audience isn't so into your product and you make a move to another night, they may or may not come with you. But if, they, if, if you can demonstrate by growing that audience and watching other indicators like licensing and merchandising and pay-per-view numbers and whatever, whatever other metrics, metrics are out there, um, if you can say to yourself, okay, for the last six months, we've increased viewers by X percent. We've increased merchandise sales by X percent. When you can start filling those blanks in and it indicates an upward trend, then I'd start having a conversation about Monday night. Because then you know at least that audience will come with you with a good portion of them. But, but I, you, look, if, I look at, because I, I look at that January 4th episode of Impact where, you, I mean, you guys did a phenomenal rating for just for that one show and I, I don't know whether or not you can sustain it consecutively that's another thing but that to me was like a pinnacle of like man wrestling belongs on mondays whether it's one show whether it's a bunch of shows um i'm thinking more, maybe more like once every seven months maybe once every uh, once a year maybe well, I, I mean i would i would dig it you know mm -hmm. I, and the nice thing and that's a great strategy george i mean i would mm -hmm. i would definitely table that and maybe put that right at the top of the table because he, you have the best of both worlds you're taking a shot at the competition, which is in inherently interesting by the nature of this industry. Mm -hmm. Those wrestling fans that are over in WWE are going to tune in just to see what kind of rabbit you have in your hat. They may not like the rabbit. They may you know, never come back again, but they will come at least once. Hopefully you're putting out a great product and you convince them. And that's what we did with Nitro. They came, they saw... It kind of stuck around and then the word got out. Then more of them stuck around and more of them stuck around. And all these WWE fans that were checking us out decided they liked us better. So if you're putting a product out there once every six months, say twice a year, two big specials, and you go head to head and you load it up and you promote it and you market it and you get a sample and that's a great, you get a great rating. You're not giving up your Wednesday night. You're not abandoning the audience in, in the schedule that you've already committed to. So you can have the best of, the, of both worlds. And I think that's a great idea. 
All right, let's put George in charge of programming. Uh, George, and in the give, meantime, you should give you should give Tony or Cody or somebody a call. Oh, let me let me call him right now. All right. <laughs> We have, we have a great question from CJ LaChapelle, considering, you know, that AEW is not exactly a roster of, you know, monster type guys. CJ wants to know, do you think a referee still needs to be small or is that kind of an old fashioned opinion? CJ says, I want to be a WWE ref, but I'm 6'2". Am I too tall? This was something I dealt with as well, obviously, standing next to these guys as a backstage interviewer, you know, basically on the floor. <laughs> Yeah, if you're 6'2 and your goal is to be a referee, find a new goal. I, no, I hate doing that to people. <laughs> Although People to, told me that too. Know, to be fair, wasn't Nick, I'm sure he's the exception, but wasn't Nick Patrick a little bit on the taller side? I, I think Nick was my, I'm 5'10", maybe 5'10 okay. and a half. Um, I think Nick was about my height. You know, when, when Nick, you know, before he got hefty, um, he, he, he didn't over, you know, and again, that was at a time when most of the talent in the ring were 230, 240, 250, six foot. I mean, there were very few people, handful of people that were in the ring in Nick Patrick's heyday uh, uh, until the cruiserweights that were under 240, 250 pounds. So Nick wasn't uh, obnoxiously big as a referee, but he sure as hell wasn't 6'2". <laughs> Well, CJ, I know you take in a lot of our programming over here, and I'm just guessing you know a ton about pro wrestling and you have a lot of passion for it. So maybe think about being like a manager, you know? That's what I was going to say. As as it comes to training, don't let that stop you from going into a wrestling school to do the manager referee training. Same problem there. Being a six foot two inch manager is worse than being a six foot (laughs) referee. Colonel Robert Parker. Well, there it goes. There goes my career. You see your five foot nine inch talent when he's standing next to a six foot two inch manager. Kind of doesn't. I mean, you you ain't ain't wrong. We're just crushing dreams over here, no biggie. Hey, but no, but we're not. We're giving guidance. We're we're sharing information that can be acted upon in a positive way. Just redirect your focus and your energy. My first question: What was it? What was uh, the the fan's name? Uh, CJ Lashley. CJ, my first question to you, bro, you're six foot two. What the hell do you want to be a referee? Be a wrestler. Go to a wrestling school. Learn how to bump around. Learn how to tell a story in the ring. Start cutting really great promos. You don't have to be, you know, AJ Styles. You know, that's great if you can be, but there's a lot of great talent out there that, you know, just have the fundamentals down. So. Yes, I love that. <laughs> See, I knew now like we're that. inspiring folks. Uh, Ken Terminated by Google has a good super chat. He wants to know if, do you guys prefer Ric Flair, Terry Funk style blood matches or the Ricky Steamboat, Bret Hart? I don't really understand the question. What's the difference between the two? I'm not a, I'm, I'm not a Ricky Steamboat, Bret Hart connoisseur, so I, I don't know what that match looked like. I guess I'm trying to decipher that. I guess he don't wants to know if you a question you don't even understand. <laughs> no, no, I guess he wants to know hell? which I guess he wants to know which match you prefer versus which match you would prefer more because they're both bloody matches. I think is what Brett, he's getting at. Bret Hart based on what he said before Bret Hart he made it a sense to really make it look like it was an accident in some ways. 
Uh, I know, like, you know, maybe during a time where blood was kind of banned in WWE, he'd say, all right, we're going to do it like this, and they're never going to notice, as opposed to maybe Flair and a Terry Funk, where it was blatant, just how, you know, obvious they were bleeding each other, things like that, you know? Yeah, I just tried to get that over on you. I just couldn't get, I I didn't get the reference because I didn't see that match, okay? I don't remember it, if I did see it. But, based on George's um, description of the match, I would far prefer, prefer... a, a, a match where if, if somebody's going to bleed, it looks natural and looks like it actually happened as a result of a blow instead of just buckets of blood for the sake of buckets of blood. I get it. I understand why they do it. I just, I've always believed that the audience doesn't react the same way to blood as the talent in the ring think they do. Mm-hmm. I always think the talent in the ring think, think they just think it's like, you know, a rock band. We just got to turn it up louder. No, you really don't. You just got to make better music, you know? And and I think when you turn up the blood and open up the spigots, just blood, you know, looks like somebody cut the top of your head off just for the sake of blood. It, to me, it's not added value. I don't get sucked into the story anymore because somebody looks like they went, ran into the propeller of an airplane. But if it if somebody, you know, if I see a little bit of blood or any amount of blood that looks like it actually happened as a result of an actual, you know, contact, I'm, I'm buying it. I'm buying it. Yes, that's exactly what I was trying to say. We debated this before you got on, Eric, but you just said it a little bit better. So, yeah, <laughs> what Eric said. <laughs> and we do want to thank you, Eric, for joining us for a few minutes here. It's always great to see you and hang out with you a little bit. Sounds like next week you guys will be covering a Terry Funk match that you were involved in, right, Steve? What's What are the details Ooh. there? Oh, that's a good match. I beat oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, yes. I dragged him around the arena. I beat him <laughs> like a old, dirty, damn rug. It was awesome. And I, you know, you know, I know this whole Terry Fong, Texas Tough, all that, you know, crap. Wasn't that tough? Wow. Well, we can't wait to hear the elongated version of I'm that sorry, story Eric, next no, week. No, I'm just kidding. You know, I'm kidding. <laughs> Next next week, we're going to introduce Eric Bischoff as the king of hardcore. A right. hard, hardcore I'll, legend. There you go. There you go. I like it. Putting it in my notes for next week right now, guys. And we want to thank everybody in our live chat for coming to hang out with us. Remember, we do this on Thursdays at 8 p.m. Eastern, so join us live if you can. You can always ask Eric any questions that you are dying to know. And Eric, thanks again for coming to hang out with us. We'll, uh, we hope to see you next week. There's a damn grizzly bear. (laughs) See you guys. Thank you. You got me. Thank you so much for joining us, everybody. We'll see you next week. Take care. Our founder, Kevin Undergaro, and me, Maria Menunos, would like to thank you for tuning in to AfterBuzz TV. Remember, we're not just the first, we're the biggest in the world, and we're the only destination for all your favorite TV shows. Whatever you crave, we've got it. So go to AfterBuzzTV.com and check out our lineup. Buzz you later. <laughs> the views expressed herein are those of the host only and do not necessarily reflect the views of AfterBuzz TV or its owners or principal.